When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Wealth Ability Show with Tom Wheelwright. Way more money, way less taxes. Welcome to the Wealth Ability Show, where we're always discovering how to make way more money and pay way less taxes. Hi, this is Tom Wheelwright, your host, uh, CEO, and founder of Wealth Ability. So, in my new book, The Win Win Wealth Strategy, we talk about energy and how important energy is to the world. We've talked about renewable energy. Now let's talk about what we're going to discover today is all of the tax incentives, the policy behind incentivizing fossil fuels. You may not like fossil fuels, but the reality is they are still highly incentivized from a tax perspective and from a policy perspective. And with me today, I have my good friend, old friend, um, Mike Maselli, um, a true Texas oil and gas, um, <laughs> Texas oil guy. And uh, Mike, it's great having you with us. Well, thank you, Tom, for having me on your show. So so if you would, just give us a little of your background and uh, uh, really why oil and gas is so important in your world. Well, my name is Michael Maselli, and I'm the CEO of REI Energy. I've been in the oil and gas industry since 1979, started my career with uh, Tennessee Oil and Gas, and which was basically a midstream company. You know, they put they obviously managed pipelines that ran from South Louisiana all the way up to Chicago. And, and uh, then I got into the exploration and development side of the business, in the early 1980s when oil prices were, you know, about $47 a barrel. And I started my company and and it started my company in 1987 when oil prices were about $9 a barrel. So I've seen both the upsides and the downsides. We drilled both domestically and internationally and uh, onshore and offshore. So we've done quite just about all of it in the industry. Awesome. So thank you. So um, let, let's go back to when did, um, do you remember, when did the U.S. government first start incentivizing um, drilling oil wells and why Why did they make that change to the law? Why, why incentivize it? Well, I think, you know, like most governments, I mean, oil and gas or fossil fuels is the lifeblood of really any economy. I mean, everybody wants cheap fuel, right? And uh, in order for a developing nation or uh, the industrialized age uh, after the war, you know, there was a big push because at that time, the U.S. was still the number one oil and gas producer in the world. And uh, of course, that's what helped us win World War II was, you know, because we did control the oil and gas so the government has always been behind incentivizing cheap fuel, and um, and so that's why they came up with the taxes. I believe, and you probably know more better than I do, but I believe that originally they not only incentivized oil and gas for small independents, but also the majors at that time. 
Is that? Yeah, know? that's true. That's true. It's 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 been the last twenty years or, or so that they've uh, re reduced that to just the ind independence. So if, if you would, I I know I'm the tax guy, but you deal with this on a daily basis. Can you just kind of walk us through? Because um, we're not talking about incentives for investing in Exxon or Mobil or some some oil stocks. We're talking about investing in the actual wells. Would you walk us through um, basically um, oil drilling in the first place? Just kind of the different types of investments in oil and gas that are available. Well, there are, there are obviously a number of type of investments and one you can either invest through the stock market and invest you know, with public, public oil and gas companies or two, you can basically invest in minerals, which that's actually where, you know, you land people or, you know, companies go out and they take leases from, uh, you know, landowners. And then, of course, they carve off a position for themselves and then they remarket that to individuals or corporations or, you know, mutual funds and stuff. Or you can do what we do, which is actually participate in oil and gas and actually drill the wells, operate the wells. And then, of course, we we usually have, you know, throw off monthly cash flow once a well becomes. And a lot of these plays, for example, these horizontal plays, you know, they all start out kind of like a gold rush, right? I mean, you know, when a play first takes off, uh, for example, the Bakken up in North Dakota, which we've been involved in the Bakken since 1911. So when that when that prospect or play originally took off, I mean, everyone ran out and automatically leased land from their brothers, their sisters, you know, their their neighbors. And of course, as I say, most of these plays, once you make a discovery, starts off like a like a gold rush. Now. In the Bakken, for example, it's a it's one of the largest plays. In fact, it may be the largest oil and gas play in the United States. It it covers it runs about 250 miles east west and about 150 miles north south. I think that's about two to three hundred square miles. Uh, you know, as far as that 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 the play actually covers. So a lot of these prospects, when they start out, the first thing companies do is, like I said, run out and lease land. And then once they once they have their acreage positions now on a oil and gas lease, when I go out and I take a lease from a landowner, for example, usually in that lease I have about three three years to drill a well on it, and the lease may be good for ten years, but you you have a drilling commitment. Now once I once I drill the first well, then I will then then the company will hold that land until the well depletes. Most of these wells last 15 to 25 years. And uh, so, you know, once you drill a well on it, so the first thing companies do in these big plays is they go out and they Im immediately start drilling their acreage positions. And that way they get all of their land held. And a drilling so, so, unit. So, so <clears throat> just so I can clarify. So once you drill one well, that, that timeline is off because you have drilled. You don't. You you can wait to drill the other wells. That's correct. Got it. So the first thing you want to do as a company uh, when you, when you're in the exploration phase is to tie up all of your land by drilling a well on it. Now, once I have my land tied up and my position tied up, then you come back and you start infill drilling or drilling your development wells. 
So, as I said, now, if you just imagine one of these plays is kind of like a large bullseye, right? So a bullseye, the center of it is where your best production is. And then, of course, as you get out on the edges, the, the wells make less production. So these types of plays are not all equal. Uh, you know, I mean, different companies have better acreage positions. Same thing if it's in West Texas or or in, you know, the Bakken or the Eagleford or, you know, any of these plays, you know, you're going to have your, your sweet spots that you drill in. So once you get all of the wells drilled, then companies can determine where the best drilling areas are. Now, a drilling unit, and I don't want to get too technical, but a drilling unit is, is they lay down two 640-acre tracks north-south, and you're drilling, a, most in most of the plays, you're drilling a 10,000-foot vertical well and then a 10,000-foot horizontal well. So in essence, your well is about 20,000 feet you know, right at about four miles is what you're drilling each one of these wells. But you're but but by drilling a horizontal well in these in these organic rich rocks, you're able to drain, you know, that that, that area around the well board. And in most cases it'll take probably four wells to to drain in that one drilling unit. Got it. Okay. So all right. So um, you talked about exploration versus development. So exploration, you're not, you think there's oil there. You're not positive development. You're pretty, you're, you're pretty positive. It's there. You're just pulling more of the oil out. Is that fair? Right. Yeah. And what I call exploration phase. And now when we talk about exploration, it's different than you're going out drilling a one well project, you know, on a, a, in a, in a, in a conventional sense as versus drilling a horizontal well. You know, if you imagine these horizontal plays, if you imagine a, a large sponge a sp that's full of oil and gas, you know, you take a sponge and put it under water, under a faucet, turn it on, and of course, water will absorb in the sponge, but it's very difficult to run through it. And the reason why that is, it's because these plays have good porosity, but they don't have permeability. And you know, if you can imagine a jar of marbles, you take a jar of marbles. And uh, the space in between the marbles is the porosity. And then the, as though you pour water in the top of the jar, it runs through the marbles all the way to the bottom. That's your permeability. So these are very organic rich plays. So, you know, you already know the oil and gas is there. The question is, when I, when it, the question is, is how to get it out of the ground. And that's where the hydraulic fracturing comes in, where you actually go in and you break the rock up and then you create the permeability and that allows the oil to flow back. Now, when we talk about exploration in these types of unconventional plays or the Bakken, for example, you know, we're, we're looking at the initial wells drilled as we spoke about on the, the initial well to hold all the acreage. So under the SEC rules, once you drill a horizontal well, uh, you're drilling that, that 1,280 acres the location to the north becomes approved location. The SEC gives you the north location to the east and one to the west and one to the south. So when you drill a horizontal well in one of these drilling units, you immediately prove up four additional wells that fall into a proven category, which is your development wells. That makes sense? Got it. Got it. Got it. Got it. Okay. So, um, uh, you you talked about the horizontal, which is commonly referred to as fracking, right? And uh, a lot of environmentalists um, have been uh, upset 
about the fracking. And can you, you talk about that just for a, a bit? Because that that's always in the news. That's always something that somebody is discussing. Well, I think a lot of the environmentalists, you know, they use fracking as this evil, you know, this evil, because what happened was back when you're in densely populated areas, like on the East Coast, where there's a large horizontal gas play there, you know, when they went in and they fracked some of those wells, well, you got to realize that a lot of the wells, the earlier wells in, in, in that area, which I'm talking about the East Coast now, a lot of those wells were drilled back in the 20s and the 1900s. So a lot of them had bad cement jobs. Very of them may not have had any cement jobs. So they had a few wells then when they first started that that play that, you know, when they fracked them, they, they got, well, there was talk about, uh, I don't know if it's ever been proven, but, you know, that people were seeing natural gas come through their faucets and stuff like that. It had gotten up into the water table. And basically, that's what the concern was originally. Well, what people don't really realize, your, you know, your freshwater zones only go down to about 2,400 feet. Okay, so we had talked a little bit earlier about drilling, for example, in the Bakken, you know, the formation is at 10,000 feet. Well, the U.S. oil and gas industry is the most re heavily regulated industry in the United States. I mean, basically, so we, in order to cover those freshwater zones, of course, you run same pipe, you cement off the freshwater zone in your initial drilling of the well, and so you have a cement job there that all of that is protected and behind pipe. And then you drill your 10,000 foot well. So you go down to 10,000 foot where the zone of interest is in the Bakken. And then you drill your horizontal. So there's very few, you know, even though there's a lot of environmental push and oil and gas is bad and, and stuff like that. It's, you know, there's very little seepage that gets up into the, to the higher zones of the, of the water table. Got it. So, um, uh, so let's talk about, let's keep going on the environmental just for a second, because there are people who are concerned, of course, of emissions and so forth. Can you talk about, um, not talking about automobiles, et cetera, we know all about those, but when you're talking about like natural gas mm -hmm. and use, use in, we have this issue, <laughs> these, these, uh, some states are regulating gas stoves. Now we have, um, we have uh, concerns about gas-fired power plants um, for electricity. So can you talk about um, natural gas? Because we have a, an abundance of natural gas in the U.S., as I understand. We have, a, a like, for many, many decades, supply of natural gas in the United States, and uh, which is what uh, Russia is cut, cutting off from Europe is natural gas. So we have all this natural gas. And uh, what do you see as the environmental concerns when it comes to natural gas? Well, you know, obviously they're pushing, you know, green energy, the use of solar and the use of, of uh, you know, uh, of wind power. And, uh, and I believe in all of that. I mean, as an oil, as a, as a company that deals in energy. I mean, you know, I think we need all forms of energy. We need wind, we need solar, we need nuclear, you know, we need hydropower and we need hydro oil and gas. And natural gas is probably one of the cleanest fuels. I think one of the reasons why you're seeing this push towards, you know, especially in the state of New York, where they've recently tried to ban natural gas, I think it's, you know, they, they, they just try to, well, 
you know, between California and New York, one tries to outdo the other, you know, as far as this green energy push to be the number one, you know, uh, green energy. But I don't think there's any, uh, you know, technology, I mean, any uh, information out there that says natural gas is, you know, environmentally sensitive. I mean, it is one of the cleanest fuels. Now, you do have carbon capture and some of the other issues that, uh, that come off of oil that, you know, companies are obviously implementing. So, you know, there is a push to reduce emissions, but the United States has been, is, has the lowest emissions in the world. I mean, as far as, you know, if you really wanted to try to reduce emissions, I mean, you need to look towards China and to, you know, India. In fact, I was watching a you know, the, the Congressional Energy Committee a couple of weeks ago, and, you know, they had the energy secretary on, and um, and one of the senators was was asking, you know, that, that you know, they wanted to basically spend all this money to reduce, you know, world temperatures, and I think, you know, he, he when he asked the question, the guy was hesitant to give him an answer, but in the end, he said that you'd have to spend $57 trillion dollars but yet he couldn't tell you how many degrees that it would reduce the climate by. And that's just the United States. I mean, if you really try to reduce, you know, the temperature and you're talking about one or two degrees over a 50 year period, I mean, you're going to have to have, I mean, China and Russia, of course, I mean, China, Russia, India, uh, they're the largest polluters in the world. I mean, as I said, the, the, the U S oil and gas industry is the most heavily regulated industry in the country. Hey, if you like financial education the way I do, you're going to love Buck Joffrey's podcast. Buck's a friend of mine, he's a client of mine, he's a former board certified surgeon, and he's turned into a real estate professional. So he has this podcast that is geared towards high paid professionals. That's who he's geared towards. So if you're a high paid professional, you're going, look, I'd like to do something different with my money than what I'm doing. I'd like to get financially educated. I'd like to take control of my money and my life and my taxes. I would love to recommend Buck Joffrey's podcast, which is called Wealth Formula Podcast with Buck Joffrey. I hope you join Buck on this adventure of a lifetime. Okay, so- so, so um, I guess one of the issues is methane, right? right. Um, my understanding, though, is that methane typically gets burned off um, that rather rather than going out into the environment. But, okay, so let's talk about, let's kind of shift gears um, because this is, ta we're talking about incentives here as to what kind of incentives there's, there are. And these incentives, of course, have been under attack in recent years. They've been uh, in the Obama administration, every single budget attacked these incentives, same with the Biden administration, every, and yet they, they persist. So can you just walk us through, um, and I know I'm the tax guy, but I'm gonna have you walk us through it as the oil guy, walk us through the tax incentives for fossil fuels. Okay, so if an investor, you know, comes in and, uh, you know, wants to invest in oil and gas, the federal government allows you to write off what they call the intangible drilling cost deductions or IDCs. That's the largest investment. I mean, that's the largest tax deduction that you can get. And as you said earlier, uh, you know, it was an incentive originally 
done for the majors and this, and it's been reduced now to just a small independence. And so taking and take a well, for example, everything in that, every, every uh, item that you use to drill the well with, the cost to drill the hole, the, the hole itself, I mean, all, I would say probably 80% of the initial investment are intangibles. So the federal government allows you to write that off against your active income. And uh, so, in, 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 for example, if you're an investor and you're in a high tax bracket, say a 39% tax bracket, you know, you're able to take about a, you know, a 27, 000, I mean, a, right off 80% of it. So the savings would translate to you of about $27,000, meaning the federal government it would be basically coming in and incentivizing you to invest in oil and gas by giving you this tax deduction. And as I was saying, 80% of the, the well now, even in the horizontal wells, you have the fracking now, which is just about as expensive as the drilling in the past. It used to be the drilling was the most expensive part of a well, but the hydraulic fracturing is the is just as expensive, in some cases more expensive now because they're using these huger fracks. So you're able to write that off as well. In the early days, you could write off a, a, a large amount of the drilling portion of the well and a very small amount of the completion, but now you're able to take that deduction pretty much on both sides. So what that means is, is that an investor that's coming in that looking to, to uh, take a risk, drill a well, uh, and you know, you're know you going to get incentivized by the government and the government's going to step in and pay for part of that. So they're well. right. They're basically partnering with you and they're going to contribute part of that. And of course, the other 20% pretty much is equipment, right? So that right. would get your normal depreciation deductions, including bonus depreciation. So... Um, Okay, so that's the big incentive going in. And you mentioned that that can offset active income. This is the one place which I think um, it would be the easiest one for them to change. Um, and that is that it doesn't matter if you're a passive investor or not, you still get the entire write-off. Um, of course, up to that excess business loss limit of $500,000 or $550,000. Um, but you still get that 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 total write-off. So. Why do you think that is? Why I, I, I know it was uh, actually your Texas senator that actually got that into that bill, that uh, that that was in the 1986 Act with the passive losses that said, no, this is not going to be passive. You can offset even wages with it. Why why is that? Why that's a bigger incentive actually than if you put a, a solar, get a solar deduction because a solar deduction, if you were investing in a, in a like a, solar farm, you would get the credit, but you the deduction would be passive. So why the extra incentive for fossil fuels? Well, I'll go back to what I said earlier is that, you know, the government needs energy. It needs oil, even though you have an administration now that is, you know, wanting to do away with fossil fuels. I mean, I think if you look at the most EI, the most recent energy information report from the EIA, you know, they still predict that oil and gas is going to be the number one fuel of choice, you know, in, in 2050. So, you know, I mean, while electric vehicles and, you know, solar and, and, and you know, will, will be a portion of it, 
so we still need oil and gas. And I go back to the fact that, you know, still, you know, that oil and gas is needed for reliable energy, you know, where at this point in time, solar and wind is still unreliable. I mean, it, you know, it may be used and it is used. I mean, we use a lot of it here in Texas. Texas, I think, is the one number one energy wind powered, you know, in the in the United States. So, but it is still unreliable and you need cheap hydrocarbons and, you know, to be able to run the economy. And I think that's why they continue to incentivize it. Now, some point down the road, if, you know, if new technology comes about, then, you know, maybe at some point they'll do away with that, you know, with that tax deduction. But uh, it is my belief that, you know, as of, I mean, you know, while there's all kind of political talk, you know, I think behind the scenes, people really understand that we still need fossil fuels and we still need to encourage fossil fuels. Being yeah, I, 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 I it, it can't can't help but notice that uh, even when the um, Democrats, who would be the ones who seem to want to eliminate this, uh, even when they have uh, control of both houses, um, they're not they, they don't eliminate this incentive. I find that to be um, uh, very instructional frankly, as to uh, how important it is, r regardless of what we talk about otherwise. And and I'm like you, I'm a big fan of renewables, um, but I do, but we have to recognize the, the, I think, the reality that oil and gas is going to be here to stay. And of course, what's going on right now is pushing up the, the price of oil and gas, you know, as they restrict the leases, they restrict the drilling as they, they, they say that they don't like uh, fossil fuels, what that does is push up the price of fossil fuels, which actually makes it more beneficial to go in and drill. So it's a, it's a really interesting conundrum that's going on right now. But there's one other um, tax incentive I want to cover before we, we wrap up here, and that's the depletion deduction. Can you explain that? Because that's, you know, we, we all these other tax benefits we talk about in the win-win wealth strategy are really front-end right. tax benefits. They're when you put the money in. Oil and gas is the only one where you actually have a tax benefit for the money coming out. Can you kind of walk us through that real quick? Yeah. So the federal government gives you what's called a depletion allowance, which allows you to write off 15% of every dollar that you make on top of it. So you're able to take that as a deduction, you know, and actually it's 15%, you know, tax free. Yeah. So essentially you're only getting taxed on 85% of your income. Right. And there's no limit on that. So it's not based on how much money you put in or anything like that. It's simply a 15% haircut on the taxability. Yeah. And uh, okay. very good. <laughs> Got it. Okay. Um, so you see, um, how long do you see the, the price of oil staying up? Do you think this is a long-term um, phenomenon now, now that we have this push towards clean energy? Well, I think you have to look at internationally and you look at Saudi Arabia, the OPEC plus countries. I mean, from the beginning, you know, back in 2015, well, when when all of the horizontal drilling was at its height, you know, the Saudis stepped in and, of course, they tried to flood the market and cause the price to collapse at that point. But if you look at a lot of these economies around the world, the Saudis, I mean, they need high prices. I mean, obviously, you know, they, all of these countries in order to run their government. So that's why you saw recently where the Saudis stepped in and 
cut a million and a half barrels of oil a day because they want to see Brent crude trade for close to about $90 a barrel. And I think you'll find that, you know, mo that, that they will continue to, you know, reduce the amount of oil they're producing in order to keep those prices high. So I see, you know, you know, back during COVID, obviously we saw a collapse in oil prices, but you know, oil was already at right pre-COVID, we were trading at about $62, $63 a barrel. Then when COVID hit and the economy shut down, then of course the price collapsed into the 20s. And then of course, when Biden, his first day in office, decided to kill the Keystone Pipeline, then all of a sudden you had the war in Ukraine, you know, we saw oil and gas prices spike up to a hundred dollars a barrel. I don't realistically, I, you know, I think everyone can make good money between 70 and 85, $90 a barrel. I think that's what the industry, I mean, it, you know, would rather see is more of a stabilized price than all of these fluctuations because people can, you know, obviously manage their budgets. They can, you know, forecast when you have stabilized prices. And I think that's one of the things that you've seen from, uh, OPEC plus is that they're trying to step in and to manage that price of oil and gas to keep it stable. So I see prices staying about where they are. I mean, there'll be fluctuations from time to time. You know, the summer months, obviously, during the driving season, oil prices go up. Natural gas prices usually come down in the spring and the fall. And then, of course, in the winter, you know, we use more natural gas for heating and stuff like that, or, you know, fuel oil up in the Northeast for heating so you know you see that seasonal fluctuation in prices but i think the the copec countries are trying to manage that and keep it stable at this price got it thank you um any um final recommendations for somebody who's looking at oil and gas for example to me the most important thing is who you're investing with um because there are a lot of there are a lot of charlatans in your industry yeah. <laughs> there really are and uh they will they will sell something saying well you get a tax deduction you may never see them again but uh, you know at least the government's paying 30% of it but you're still losing 70% so any any final words of um advice to investors well i think you have to look at a you know an approach when you when you're talking to somebody about making an investment in oil and gas you need to understand do they have a good team behind them i mean you know it's just like you know a, a lot of times a lot of you know you talk about a team you know you have your like robert when he talks about you know having his accountants and all of his team same thing you need in any business you need to have people that understand the business you need to be able to do the research uh to determine you know, like these unconventional plays, you know, you're not going to drill a dry hole in that play. Now, the question is, you know, are you are you going to make money or not? Are you going to be on the outside of the bullseye where, you know, the land is cheap, cheap out there? And of course, you can take leases cheaply. And, you know, but realistically, you got to have one hundred twenty dollars a barrel oil to make it work. You know, a lot of these people, they come in and they take these types of opportunities. Now, For I, I always go back to the Bakken because we've been in it for the longest. But, you know, there's been 14,000 wells drilled in the Bakken now. And uh, so there, it, is a, it is a developmental play, a lot like West Texas and some of the other plays. But when you reduce it down, there's only two counties that are your top two producing counties. 
And what I mean by that is that wells that can generate cash flow and make a profit at 50 to $60 a barrel. So if someone's coming in and they're looking at, say, I want to make an investment in, in one of these plays, you know, you really need to try to ask the questions of, you know, what are the wells surrounding you produced? You know, yeah, wells back in 2010 where they had old technology, now they're starting to step in and they're, 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 they've got newer technology, so the wells are going to produce more. So I would say that you have to basically, you know, get with someone that's been in the business that understands the play, you know, and 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 you know that has a, a team of geologists and their engineers, their land people, that 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 really understand it and and uh, and and it's going to put you in the right area. So those are the questions I would ask, and that's and that's kind of what I would want to look at from an from a from a standpoint of investing in one of these plays because. Like I said, you're going to make a well every time you drill. The question is, am I going to make 100,000 barrels of oil or I'm going to make 600,000 barrels of oil? But what an investor has to realize that a cost of a well, one well in these plays is 10 to $13 million a well. So they're not cheap. You're not going out and drilling a, you know, a 4,000 foot well in West Texas. I mean, you're spending, you're spending right at 10 to $14 million every time you drill a well. And in most cases, on these on these drilling units, you're going to have four wells. So you're making close to a 60 to $70 million investment if you owned 100% of it, but what the companies are making in these in these areas. And uh, so you got to make sure that the wells are going to produce the right amount of oil and gas in order to make a profit, because they are expensive. Awesome. Thank you. So, Mike, where would we find more information about uh, what you do and in, in, uh, your company? Well, you can always reach out um, at one 917 is our phone number. And, uh, or you can reach out to www.reienergy.com or you can send me an email at mike at reienergy.com. Awesome. Thank you, Mike. Um, Thank you, Tom. I love that you're willing to share your, your personal email address. That's awesome. So um, <laughs> thanks, everybody, um, for listening. Remember that the government's our partner, and we have to decide how we're going to partner with them. Are we going to be a silent partner? Are we going to be an active partner? Whether it's renewable energy, um, as we talked about in a previous show, or whether it's fossil fuel energy, um, the government gives big incentives for uh, increasing the energy production in the United States. And what happens with those incentives is you end up always making way more money or usually with the right, with the <laughs> right team, with the right team, you can end up with way more money and way less tax. Thanks everyone. You've been listening to The Wealth Ability Show with Tom Wheelwright. Way more money, way less taxes. To learn more, go to wealthability.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.